Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Back to the official SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. This is the Week 7 Recap. I'm your host, Alex, joined by my two lovely bros, Holt Smash and Mr. J.B. Brooks. Mr. J.B. Brooks, are you ready for the Titans to draft Joe Burrow? Uh, Yeah, I think they're going to have to draft somebody this year. I mean, obviously, uh, Mariota is not the future. Tannehill is old and is an aged backup. So, yeah, they're going to have to draft somebody this year. It's got to be someone like uh, Tua, Burrow, Jalen Hurts, maybe Jake Fromm. Tannehill isn't old, and neither is Mariota. Because, I mean, especially when you have quarterbacks like uh, – I mean, Freddie's an anomaly, so you can't really compare him. But even Aaron Rodgers is like 36, 37, something like that. He is, but Tannehill's also in his early 30s. You know what he is. Like, yeah. he's, a, he's just an okay quarterback, but he's not a franchise quarterback. Mariota had a chance to be a franchise quarterback. He's been given five years to develop into one, and he's not going to be a franchise quarterback. And they let his contract expire after this season and move on and start the process all over again in the 2020 draft. Holt Smash, do you think JB enjoys that he was right about Mariota all along just a little bit? No. I, no, Alex, take that back. I never, <laughs> ever have trashed on Mariota. I've liked Mariota. Well, I'm, just, I'm making sure Holt Smash is alive over there, really. No, I'm here. Uh, I've never really been a big fan of Mariota either, except for maybe like early on in his career. He had a couple of flashes that made me think that he could potentially be a good NFL quarterback, but I've pretty much given up on him now. I definitely did after today. What's funny is if y'all watched the early morning game, the Bucks and Panthers um, in London, I was watching Jameis and he threw like what, something like three or four interceptions or five interceptions, something crazy. Five. Yeah, five hey. interceptions. And yeah. Kyle Allen is the backup to Heisman quarterback Cam Newton, and he's outperforming everyone right now. He's outperforming Cam Newton, James Winston, Marcus Mariota. Like, that's three Heisman quarterbacks that he's outperforming. And it's just – it's crazy to me how sometimes you can, you know, put all this stock in picking a quarterback number one or number two overall like that, and then somebody like Kyle Allen or Garter Minshew outperforms everyone. Yeah, I agree, and – I will say this, uh, if the Titans want to go for a quick fix, they can try to get Cam Newton from Carolina after he uh, departs from that franchise. But another thing I will say is that Mariota lost me officially last year at the end of the season when he refused to play the last game against the Colts in a must-win game to go to the playoffs. That, to me, told me that he was not cut for the NFL and not cut to be a franchise player. Yeah, his question has been about durability, too, um, besides him like throwing the ball. But... Um... Yeah, I would be okay with Cam Newton just because um, 
I mean, if you think about it, go flashback. I mean, he he was an MVP quarterback, and he you know he can throw the ball. He just he wasn't good this year before he started off. But um, that is NFL football and my woes with the Titans. College football this weekend was a great weekend. Holt Smash, was this the best weekend this year to date? It was a pretty exciting weekend. We had a little bit of everything. We had some top 25 matchups. Uh, we had a top 10, 10 matchup, and we had a top three team lose um, at home and a really big upset. So, had a little bit of everything. Uh, it was pretty exciting. Um, even, like, Arkansas-Kentucky was, like, a low-key, like, pretty good game. So, it was a good Saturday at college football, and, um, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. Hope, you know, I know this next weekend is not going to be as fun, but, you know, you never know. I uh, was actually watching the Kentucky Arkansas. I feel like us three were the only ones watching both LSU and Florida and Arkansas and Kentucky and like having more interest, not more interest, but just as much interest in the Arkansas Kentucky game, just because um, that was one both teams uh, thought they could win on their schedule and both teams needed to win, especially um, probably more so Kentucky because I feel like Arkansas fans and even the coach have like kind of given up this year as, a lost cause. So Kentucky can at least still fight for a bowl game, but Arkansas is kind of um, just fighting for not being the shittiest team in the SEC. And luckily, JB, the shittiest team in the SEC has officially gone to who? That title goes to Vanderbilt. And looking at the rest of their schedule, they might only have one more win left in them. Other than that, uh, yeah, they have definitely gotten the titles worst SEC team. And I think it's going to stick with them the rest of the season. I don't, they are just really, really crappy. I will say this about Arkansas. They've been competitive the last two weeks against A&M and uh, Kentucky. So that, that looks a lot better than Vanderbilt, who is not even competitive at home against a 1-4 and UNLV opponent. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. I wish we could. Um, I think it's called relegate uh, the last team in SEC to another conference and like have the best power five or non-power five, group of five, I guess, team move up to like a better conference. Um, whole, outside of the SEC – um, I'm just curious your thought. Do you think Boise State's a legitimate top ten team? They're not. I don't think they're ranked there yet, but they um, they're rolling right now. They beat Hawaii pretty convincingly um, this past Saturday. Yeah, that was a really impressive win. I definitely expected that to be a little bit. I mean, I expected them to win, but I expected Hawaii to put up a little bit more of a fight. They've been a really good team so far this year, um, and Boise State just killed them at home. But now I really know if they're a top ten team. Uh, definitely a top twenty five team though. And um, I hope they get an opportunity against a uh, pretty decent power five team in a bowl game. What if, I mean, I, I, we assume at this point Oklahoma is going to be in the playoff, but what if there was like a New Year's Six uh, matchup between Oklahoma and Boise State again? That would be pretty fun. Yeah, that would be really fun. Uh, that would be a really good matchup. Um, you know, I'd really like to see Boise State play like a Pac-12 team. Um, I really wish that the Pac-12 would let Boise State join and BYU also. Um you know, I know they probably think that they're above that and that they're like make it like Texas or Oklahoma or something one day. But I'd, I'd really like to see them have like uh, Boise State and BYU. Um, so I'd like to see them play like, a, you know, like, I mean, maybe not Utah, but maybe Washington or maybe, maybe someone who's or Oregon, I think probably be the best matchup. Um, and uh, maybe get like a big win over whoever. Uh, comes out of the Pac-12 um, just to kind of, you know, basically show that they're like one of the best teams on the West Coast and, um, you know, that they should, that they belong in the Pac-12 because I would really like to see them in the Pac-12 one day. Yeah, it would definitely be fun. Um, the Red River rivalry was a pretty good game too. I feel like Oklahoma had this game for the most part, but Texas was hanging around just close enough to make it interesting. 
uh, throughout the game. JB, are you have you been impressed with? I know you've been impressed with Jalen Hurts in general this year, but like the biggest knock on him was throwing the ball downfield, and it looks like at Oklahoma he doesn't have that problem at all. He hasn't, but uh, Jalen Hurts did not have his best game against Texas. This was definitely his uh, worst game so far this season. Had a couple of turnovers, uh, but three, but he, he threw one interception. But like I said, he had the fumble as well. It wasn't his best game, but it was still a pretty good game on paper. I mean, he threw for two hundred thirty-five yards with three touchdowns, then carried the ball for one hundred thirty-one yards and had another touchdown. So he had uh, three hundred and sixty-six yards total offense that he contributed. So it was it's still a good game on paper, but his worst game of the year. So if that's your worst game you're going to get from Jalen Hurts, then that's not good news for the rest of the conference because, I mean, they, they looked very much improved on defense, too. I mean, that's the one thing I want to talk about Oklahoma, too, is their defense looks uh, legit, like with uh, Alex Grinch, who's their defensive coordinator now. Hold, did you like the and one hot sauce move by Jalen Hurts when he put the ball behind his back and still threw it? Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, I got to say I was really impressed with uh, Oklahoma's Hosmer um, contender in this one. I thought he had a really good game. Um, I'm, of course, talking about C.D. Lamb, the wide receiver. Same Good. Coach. I was actually um, – sorry, I was going to say that too, Hulk, but go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I steal your thunder on that one, Alex? No, but I was going to ask you a question because um, I don't – I didn't know the receiver's name who had the touchdown catch, but it was more of like it was him running the ball into the end zone. After he looked like he was going to be down, he, like, put a couple of juke moves and spun around and just kind of cut the right way. I didn't know that. I, I forgot the guy's name. I'm glad you mentioned him. Yeah, his name's C.D. Lamb. Uh, really exciting player, playmaker. Um, you know, he's really been Oklahoma's best receiver this year. And, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a, a monster, um, one of the best players in college football. Uh, may end up playing his way into being a first-round draft pick, uh, potentially. Um, but C.D. Lamb has just been unbelievable. I mean, he's been wide open. Um, you know, he catches the ball, and he's surrounded by defenders. And he's able to make everybody miss and score a touchdown. He's just been like a really exciting player to watch this year. And um, you know, I, I know the award doesn't generally go to wide receivers, but I think after that performance, you really have to put him in the conversation because that was a truly incredible game um, and probably Oklahoma's biggest game of the season. Uh, and he just he went out there and car- you know basically carried the team, um, you know which is really hard to do from the receiver position. I mean, he was really the only receiver that did anything for Oklahoma in this game. Um, no one else had, you know, more than, you know, 25 yards and he had 170. So um, huge performance by him. And it was really fun to watch. And, you know, it's always fun to watch Texas lose also. The problem is, hold, I think you might be the only one thinking about him for Heisman. Uh, I think he he's has, he has great numbers uh, for sure, but it's just it is hard to get a receiver in the Heisman conversation, and not enough people are uh, building off your your campaign right now. Yeah, for sure. I just want to give my man some love. Is that is that too much to ask? <laughs> it uh, it might be. I mean, because you're not supposed to you're not supposed to say anything about Oklahoma except for J- about Jalen Hurts, because that's the official stance of Alabama and the SEC as a whole. I think even Auburn fans, I feel like like Jalen Hurts. Yeah. Well, I like Jalen Hurts too. I just think I just think C.D. Lamb deserves some credit. I think he's a great player, and um, it was fun watching him play against Texas. We'll talk about the SEC in a little bit, of course. But uh, just finishing up on this Oklahoma talk, uh, Jebby, do you see Oklahoma losing a game this year? Uh, look at their schedule. Their tough games remaining are at Baylor. You could even mention Iowa State at home, I guess. But at at Baylor and at Oklahoma State. <laughs> 
are the two tough ones uh, to finish off the year. And I don't even know if Baylor's a tough one, but Baylor hasn't lost yet, so they're not bad. Yeah, I was actually going to add on to that, uh, that I don't think Oklahoma is going to lose another game this year. I think they're going to run the table and go undefeated. And if they go undefeated, uh, Jalen Hurts is definitely going to be a top contender for the Heisman. I, honestly, I believe um, it's going to come down to Jalen Hurts and the winner of the LSU-Alabama game uh, between Burrow and, and uh, Tua. So it'll be one of the two. We say that. We say that. But I think even if uh, LSU loses to Alabama this year, which I guess they would still be projected to lose at Alabama, um, I still think Joe Burrow and Tua both can be invited to wherever well, it is. No, yeah, I, I'm. they're going to be invited. I'm, I mean, I can already tell you right now, if these guys continue on the trajectory, uh, Tua, Jalen Hurts, uh, Joe Burrow, and Justin Fields, all four of those guys are going to be invited. And maybe a fifth one, a wild card, maybe someone like Jonathan Taylor. I think those guys, four, those four for sure, and maybe Jonathan Taylor as a fifth one will be invited but I'm just telling you right now that I think it's going to be Hurts and either Tua or Burrow, one of those two, that's going to be the two main finalists that we're going to have the most votes going to. Yeah. Oh, um, man, I don't even know where I'm going to start with you because I, I want to talk about the Mississippi State game, but I don't want to make you cry. But I want to cover the the, the bigger SEC games first. Um, this LSU-Florida game, it was actually a really good game. Uh, I mean, LSU ended up winning by 14, so they did cover, so I guess they technically are a great team. But um, Florida looks like a legitimate team, and LSU just looks like too much with their offense and playing in Baton Rouge at night. Um, but one thing I was actually impressed with was um, Kyle Trask. Even though he didn't necessarily have the best numbers, he looked like he was under control for the most part of the night. Yeah, I thought Trask played really well. Um, you know, I thought Mullen had a really good game plan in this one offensively. Um, you know, the first half they were really able to move the ball. It, was, it wasn't as fast as LSU. It seemed like LSU was just scoring in two seconds, and then Florida was going on these long, sustained drives um, and then getting the ball in the end zone. And Trask was really efficient. Uh, they were moving the ball well and uh, really impressed me uh, with how he played. Uh, but, you know, in, in that second half, it looked like Aranda was able to make some adjustments. And um, was able to get a few stops, and then LSU's offense was able to uh, to pull away, and um, you know that's how the game ended. But you know you really have to be impressed with Trask, and I thought he showed a lot. And um, you know, I mean, you questioned it before the game, and um, you know, I think you we're definitely onto something. You know, this LSU defense is not the great LSU defense that we're used to seeing, but they don't have to be because this offense has been unbelievable. Yeah, I still think, given the choice between this kind of LSU-style winning versus the old LSU-style winning with defense and running the ball, I think most people would still choose this because that's just where the game's headed right now. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like offense is really driving the train right now in college football. You don't see a lot of teams building their, th- building their teams through defense anymore. Um, you know, obviously some teams will have really good defense, but, um, you know, the great teams all have really good offenses. Yeah. Uh, one another player I was impressed with is the freshman running back from LSU, not Emory. Emory is like the I think number two ranked running back coming out of high school. But Davis Price, he I mean he only had three rushes, but he had forty yards uh, with a long thirty-three yard touchdown. I think that's pretty pretty cool or pretty awesome. I don't know how where he was ranked coming out of high school, but I just think it's cool. And it's it's one thing. Another thing that is kind of crazy about college football is that sometimes. And I guess a lot of times the uh, recruiting rankings don't matter as much when you get onto the 
actual game, I mean, just random. It seems like random players step up and end up being your better player. Like right now, Davis Price is playing better than Emory. Um, so I don't know if that interests you enough, JB, but I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, Davis Price is just another uh, great running back for LSU. I mean, they've been RB, RBU, arguably, for the like last decade or two. I mean, they've always put out some really good running backs. And Emory and Davis Price are just the next two in line that are going to be coming out of uh, Baton Rouge. Debbie, at, at any point in this game, did you think Florida could actually beat LSU? Like, did you were you concerned for LSU that Florida was going to win? Uh, the point that I did think that Florida had a legit shot was when they took the lead. And, uh, you know, with a 20-21 lead, and, it, it, and the way they got to that is that they were matching uh, LSU score for score in the first half, and they were able to get some points on the board just before at halftime with, like, four seconds left to tie the game. And then they received the ball at, at the second half kickoff. At that point, and then when they scored, I was saying, you know, they might have a chance because they are in control at the moment. But uh, LSU's defense stepped up and was able to get a stop, and LSU's offense just, you know, kept scoring and – kept applying the pressure to Florida, and eventually Florida just wasn't ever going to be able to match LSU's production. Joe Burrow had pretty, pretty outstanding numbers. He didn't – you know, he's a little different than Tua because he didn't – well, I say that, but it was more like just this game specifically. He didn't throw for like five or six touchdowns in like 400 yards like Tua would or Tua normally does, but he was 21 for 24, and that to me is so hard, especially against a, a defense like Florida that blitzes – the entire time um i just was really impressed with joe burrow like we've been this entire year um my question for you holt though is with burrow we've we've been impressed with him this entire year but do you think it's more of joe brady calling the plays or being his like quarterback coach or do you think joe burrow is actually just you know having another year at lsu is really helping him out i mean i think you have to, a lot of the credit has to go to joe burrow i mean just because you know we've seen a lot of good quarterbacks or we've seen a lot of quarterbacks play with really talented receivers and have, you know, I guess, well-known offensive coordinators that don't put up these kind of numbers. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you can talk about the coordinators all you want and the talent around them, but the quarterback's still got to go out there and make plays. And that's what he's been doing. 24-21, 293 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. I mean, almost a perfect line. Um, you know, I think Joe Brady definitely deserves a lot of credit as far as scheming up this offense and putting everyone in the right position. And the receivers deserve a lot of credit as well because there are a lot of really big, talented players out there um, for him to throw to. But at the end of the day, the quarterback's got to be the one making the plays, and he's done everything um, that he's needed to do to this point. He's played about as well as he could have played. So I think Burrow still deserves, I think, most of the credit uh, for this offense and taking a step forward. But, you know, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, credit to go around. I mean, I think everybody deserves some credit. But, you know, I, I think Joe Burrow, number one, um, taking that step forward this year has, has been the most important one. That's another thing I want to bring up, Holt, is that this LSU receiving core is actually pretty good. I don't feel like enough people are talking about them because people are just talking about Burrow. But uh, Chase and Jefferson are both both had really good nights tonight, and they've actually been pretty good throughout the year. Um, this LSU receiving core, I don't know if it stacks up against Alabama's, but, I mean, they're, they have to be, like, in the top half of the SEC, if not, like, the second or third ranked receiving core yeah I think so I mean I'm not sure besides Alabama who who would be better than them in the SEC I mean they're Even the country. they're absolutely loaded um you know I I feel like I was just thinking the other day about how it seems like there's so many talented receiving cores in the country uh you know I think Clemson may may have them beat a little bit um 
But other than that, I mean, I think maybe Clemson, Alabama, that might be it. Um, I think even Oklahoma, um, you know, CeeDee Lamb is great, but after that I'm not really sure. And then, you know, I'm sure, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Ohio State games this year. I'm sure they've got some really awesome receivers too. So, you know, there's probably some other teams out there that I'm not thinking of right now. But, you know, besides Alabama and Clemson, I think they're right there. Yeah. You know, this game was – I mean, I guess it technically went down exactly like it was supposed to because the line was 13 and a half or 13 and LSU ended up winning by 14. So it pretty much played out just like Vegas thought it would. But uh, to me, I come away from this game thinking that Florida looks like a legitimate top 10 team, even more so than they did after Auburn. They kind of went ugly against Auburn, but they looked pretty good against LSU, even though they lost by 14. I still think they looked pretty good. And I just came away from this game kind of impressed with Florida, even in a loss and really impressed with Dan Mullen. Um, I'm not sure if you think the same thing, JV, but I'm curious what you think about that. No, I agree. I mean, Mullen coached a really good game. I mean, he gave his team a chance and gave them opportunities. I mean, they're going up against a really good team in a really hostile environment and they were the underdog. And I mean, he, he definitely proved that his team is legit. I mean, I think Florida is a really good team and what a blessing it is for a blessing in disguise, I almost have to say, that Kyle Trask is leading this team now. I mean, they look so much better with Trask as their quarterback. And uh, it's really a testament to him, like, you know, being ready to be in the spotlight because, you know, you're always one snap away. And he was a backup in high school and a backup throughout pretty much his entire college career up until this year. And he takes he takes over, and he looks like he's been a starter for the last seven years, not a backup. So I really want to give him credit but also just Mullen also put, getting Trask in good position to uh, make him comfortable in the game too. But, I mean, Florida's, Florida's legit. I mean, I think that Florida-Georgia game is a toss-up right now. I, I couldn't even tell you right now who I would pick to win that game. Yeah, that'll be a fun one for sure. Um, what was I going to say about this? Dang, JP, I was listening so intently that you actually made me forget my train of thought. But I remembered it now. Um I'll ask this one to you, Holt, but JB, feel free to chime in. So we, we've gone on and on the past like 10 minutes about how great LSU is. And um, we talked throughout this year about how this is a legitimate top five LSU team. And they've, they've beaten really good teams now. They've beat Florida and Texas. I think those are the two big ones. I don't know if they beat anyone else. I can't remember. But I think it's just those two teams are the really good wins. Um, probably legitimate top 10 teams, maybe Texas top 15. But – Holt, why is uh, Alabama still ahead of LSU in the power rankings? Because if you're going off of based off teams played, then um, LSU played and beat better teams than Alabama, and they might even look a little bit better than Alabama. I'm not sure though. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good argument. Um, you know, I definitely think so. I, I just I think I trust Alabama's defense a little bit more right now. Um, I think they're a little bit just stouter overall. Uh, I think LSU's got a lot of talent in the secondary, but it really hasn't manifested so, itself so far this season. I mean, Alabama's defense hasn't been, like, you know, unbelievable or anything. It's just – I just – I think I trust him a little bit more on the defensive side right now. Um, you know, LSU just had some really bad defensive games so far, and, you know, that does concern me a little bit um, because it makes me think towards this matchup, and it makes me think, you know, when they play, like, yeah, they can both score, but which one's going to be able to get stops? And that's really going to be the difference in the game, I think. So – I think I just think I trust Alabama's defense a little bit more right now. I definitely trust Nick Saban significantly more than Ed Orgeron. Um, so I mean, to me, that's kind of what it comes down to. I think you know you could really say that both offenses and both quarterbacks have been uh, pretty much equal. Um, you know, and then you look at the game that Claude Edwards-Hilaire had in this one, and 
how well LSU was able to run the ball. And that's really been a struggle for uh, Alabama this year. So, you know, maybe they're a little bit more balanced on offense even. A couple of things uh, you said there. Um, you know Saban isn't happy with their defense despite um, you saying you trust their defense more, which I can understand. But, you know, he's not happy with their defensive play this year. And the second point is that uh, you trust Saban. it. Go ahead. Go is ahead, Saban happy, though? What? No, he's not. Did you hear that he mentioned rat poison again? He's like, this is this is the very same seat I, where rat poison started a year ago or two years ago, whatever it was, three years ago. All right. Yeah, I remember. But what was your second question? Second question was, if I can remember it here. Now I'm, I'm getting – I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah. So you said you trust Saban more than Orgeron, which I definitely agree with you on that. But I still don't think of Orgeron as an actual coach. I just think he's like the hype man, the, un- the unofficial hype man for LSU to get them – get them to run through a wall and play hard. I, I mean, because you think he's got the, probably one of the best defensive coordinators in the country in Naranda, and then um, Brady's not technically their offensive coordinator, but I feel like he is because that's who everybody gives hype or gives all the credit to for Burrow doing so well. So, I know. I think it's a solid strategy. I mean, I, you know, definitely – yeah, I was about to say, I think Dabo has kind of been something similar, you know, just kind of be like the face of the program and – um, you know, just be a recruiter, motivator, public speaker type, and then let the um, coordinators, you know, do their jobs and just overpay for coordinators, get the best ones you can, and then just um, let them do their thing, let them be in control of their side of the ball. And um, I think that's a really solid strategy. It's definitely worked for LSU to this point. So, you know, no. I, it could definitely pay off. No, I definitely – I agree with you. But I'm, my point is that I don't I – don't, I don't envision – Whenever Alabama plays LSU later this year, I don't envision it as Saban versus Coach O. I envision it as Saban versus a really good defensive coordinator, a really good offensive coordinator, and Coach O is just there to watch. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I understand. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're the head coach, you're the one calling the shots. You're the one making the big decisions, whether or not to go for it on fourth down, you know, uh, when to call timeouts, you know, things of that nature, you know, Little things like that can really make a difference in a, in a close game like I expect this to be when they do finally play. For sure. JB, this Florida-LSU game was the biggest game of the week, but I don't know if it was the best game. I think the best game was the South Carolina-Georgia game. I found myself watching that one almost over the – I know it's hard to believe – almost over the Memphis Temple game. Um, I almost turned the Memphis Temple game to the uh, small TV to stream and then South Carolina, Georgia, the big TV. But you had you had a lot of good games on at 11 a.m. Central. You had the South Carolina, Georgia game that turned up into a good game. This uh, Texas, Oklahoma, the Memphis Temple game was good, um, despite it not being like, you know, premier power five matchup. But it's still a gr- good game to watch. But um, I just think the South Carolina, Georgia game was the best game of the week. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely the best game of the weekend. And. What a contrast because uh, I don't even really think we discussed the game going that much uh, during the preview before this last weekend because we didn't, frankly, we didn't give South Carolina a shot at all. And uh, that's a lot of disrespect that we gave to them. And for that, I want to apologize on behalf of probably all of us that we did not give South Carolina a chance in this one and not give them some credits. But uh, you got to give all the credit in the world to uh, Will Muschamp for uh, devising a really good game plan and uh, catching Georgia sleepwalking and executing and limiting their mistakes, and they were in it at the end. And they, that's all you can ask for is being in the game at the end, and ultimately they prevailed. 
I mean, we can we can apologize for not giving South Carolina enough credit in this game before the game started. They'll give them like a chance, but I mean, you sure as hell can't blame us. I mean, South Carolina looked pretty pretty average or mediocre before this game, so I don't know why they decided to play hard this game. Hold, but they um, they definitely came to play, and I think it's pretty pretty amazing if you sit sit back and think about it. It's at Georgia, top five team, and they already are down to the backup quarterback from Bentley to Hilinski, and then he goes down, and they still win even with Joiner. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a really good performance by South Carolina. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, before the season, uh, we were asked to give some ball predictions, and I think I said that South Carolina was going to win one of the Alabama-Georgia Clemson games. Oh, dang, you're right. Hold, what about Missouri? Wait, wait, what's that, what's that other one? I always like to pick up the ones you're wrong about. You're uh, wrong. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. But, um, I mean, Missouri actually was pretty good last year. They just screwed around a couple games. But, anyway, um, I was really excited to see this win. Um, It's good to see Georgia lose. Um, You know, I hate to be too much of a fan, but, um, you know, I feel like we we usually try to keep it pretty, you know, I guess down the middle here. But, you know what, I don't really care. I don't – I was kind of happy to see Georgia lose. Um, I think it was about time for them. Um, you know, their fans are starting to get a little bit loud and obnoxious, and good to see them get brought back down to earth a little bit. Um, so, definitely enjoyed that. Um, but, I mean, really, this game came down to, to one thing, and that was South Carolina's defense. I mean, they played really well. Uh, they were able to, you know, not necessarily, like, totally shut down Georgia's running game, but just limit it and force Fromm to throw the ball. And, you know, Fromm has had a few games like this in his career where he just, like, he's just off. You know what I mean? If you remember that Sugar Bowl last year against Texas, you know, there was, uh, you know, the LSU game last year as well where he just he just doesn't play well. And, um, you know, I'm not saying – I'm not – this isn't like an indictment on Fromm or anything. I still think he's a really good quarterback and a, you know, potential first-round pick. But, you know, he, he does – he is known to have these games. And, you know, I think offensively they really missed Jim Chaney in this one. Um, they just seemed to really – physical on offense and um you know we saw Nick Saban kind of um take that step forward with his offense um you know when it started to when things started to slow down um you know for him with the running game and uh try to transition more into a passing offense and you know Georgia hasn't really taken that step um so I think that'll be something kind of interesting to watch in the offseason is if Georgia kind of takes that step towards um trying to become more of a passing team uh, and kind of keep up with the times in college football right now. For sure. You know, South Carolina hasn't played well throughout the year, but if you just watch their team play, they have some athletes on their team, especially on defense. They just look like they're all, like, so big and fast. Like, I mean, I don't know if they're – like, they were all five stars or anything like that, but just looking at them, they all look very, very athletic. Yeah, they do. I mean, that, that Ken Law guy for, Texas, for uh, South Carolina. Is that the guy that um, Najah Harris ran over? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, all right. We'll we'll come back to that. But uh, what were you about to say about him? He just looks huge. Yeah, he's just really good player, and you know, as a senior this year, and you know, I thought he just had a really good game, and you know, I mean, honestly, the whole South Carolina defense played well, and you got to give Old Muschamp some credit. Um, he was able to keep his guys motivated, and uh, they came out and played really well, and um, you know, they got some talent on defense. I mean, we've talked about that before the season started. You know, the Muschamp recruits well. And he's a defensive guy, and they were able to have a good defensive performance in this one. And, um, 
you know, get a huge win on the road. I mean, this is probably the biggest win. I mean, this is the biggest win of his career. And, um, you know, honestly may have saved his job. Yeah, not just saved his job, but also I think it it puts a bowl bowl back. Yeah, saved his job possibly, but also it puts a bowl back in reach for South Carolina too. When you look at the rest of their schedule, they got a legit shot to get six wins and get to a bowl now. And if they do that, he's definitely getting another year. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I think Clemson's better than Georgia, but I'd be a little nervous if I was Clemson. I think that game is at South Carolina this year. Um, Not that South Carolina is going to win that game, but I mean, now you're like at least paying attention that they beat a top five team and now they could beat Clemson possibly too. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but (laughs) hey, let's uh, let's just keep on dreaming here. Um, One truth that came from this game, it's it's something we say all the time. I don't know if we say it on the podcast, but we say it off the air a lot. Um, you cannot trust college kickers, and that came true for this game. Uh, I don't know which one of y'all tweeted it, but one of you tweeted it afterwards about college kickers sucking. And it's just it's so true how you can never have confidence in your college kicker. And Blankenship was like – I don't know if he's actually – I would really like to fact check if he's like the actual best kicker in the SEC or – in the country, but they always say he's like the best kicker in the country, and he missed what was like a forty-yarder to win the game, or not to win the game, to tie 40. the game. Yeah, yeah, he missed a forty-two-yarder to tie the game. But then South Carolina missed the one before that to win the game. Well, he actually hit a fifty-yarder early in the game, then, but he he had missed two field goals and they hit a fifty-yarder um, over the course of that game. And the South Carolina's kicker missed two field, two huge field goals too. I mean, one of them was from, like, 60 yards yeah, that should not have been attempted. That honestly, like, uh, if Georgia had, like, not screwed up there in the last minute of the game and was able to get in field goal range before overtime, I think we're probably sitting here talking about what an idiot Will Muschamp is for trying to kick that field goal. Um, but uh, either way, um, you know, and then White also missed a game-winning field goal in the first overtime. So, uh it was definitely a rough game for the kickers in this one, and you really hate to see that. You hate to see the game come down to that, but, um, you know, at the same time, it was still an exciting game, and I'm glad that uh, South Carolina got the win. I'm looking – I am fact-checking Rodrigo Blankenship's career kicking statistics here, and he actually might be the best kicker in college. He um, He's 86% this year, 857 um, last year was 82.6, and then his sophomore year, 87%. So he's a um, he is a really good kicker. The problem is, even if you draft him in like the sixth or seventh round or whatever, whatever round you feel comfortable drafting a kicker, um, you never, you honestly don't know if that means he's going to be a good NFL kicker because um, Aguaya, the guy from Florida State, who was like one of the best kickers of all time, like got cut from his team the very first year, like the first like two or three games of the year. That's true, and then also Daniel Carlson two years ago at Auburn. I mean, he was Mr. Automatic, too. I mean, and then there's another guy I'm thinking of that used to kick for Texas A&M, uh, Randy Bullock, who was automatic at A&M as well. Like, there's just – there's always going to be good kickers, but, you know, like I said, like it's really just, you know, repetition, rhythm, and confidence, and sometimes it doesn't translate to the NFL level. I think but, it's – I don't think it's anything about, like, their, like, ability to kick. I think it's more of mental because I think once you get to, like – college if you're a decent kicker in college or if you get picked up by an NFL team I don't think like most of the kickers have the ability to kick a 50 yard field goal or 55 yard field goal or even 60 yards um it's just I think it's I don't think it's ability as much as it's mental at that point I I mean I I would agree with you but surprisingly uh 
Lancashire does not have the best percentage of kickers in the SEC now. Who's better? Uh, Brent Samagli at Tennessee. He's only missed one kick all season. He's like, I think, 9 of 10 or 10 of 11 on kicks so far this year. He's probably Tennessee's best player. That's a good transition, JB, because I was watching him kick the, the – I think it was a long field goal before half, and I was like – I mean, it was like a low kick, but I mean, he made it, and I was like I, – I, I didn't think he was a good kicker from the looks of that. I just thought like he got lucky or something, but um, I guess I was completely wrong about that. Yeah, it was a really windy day in Knoxville for that Tennessee-Mississippi State game. I mean, both kickers for both teams made impressive kicks. Uh, I think State's kicker, Chrisman, made a, a career long – I think it was 51 or 53-yarder. And then Samaglia nailed that uh, 49-yarder before halftime. I mean, it was the opposite of the South Carolina-Georgia game. Kickers Which is that? Those two games. That game, uh, you know, made some pretty good kicks with swirling wins. Unusual for state kickers. They usually do not – kick well at least ever since i've watched state or known holt they um holt's always bitched about their kickers almost as bad as alabama but not quite as bad as alabama kickers um holt are we gonna start fire up the um joe mo no mo.com <laughs> yeah we might have to um i mean if you've been following mississippi state twitter at all or any mississippi state message boards i mean they're already talking about who they're gonna hire next because <laughs> lord I figured I figured they were like ready for him to be gone. I didn't figured I didn't figure they would like already go through the process like oh we can get Urban Meyer or something like that. I don't know if they're talking about Urban Meyer, but just as an example, who they're thinking about. I did see someone say Bob Stoops today, and I was like, man, you you keep <laughs> you keep praying on that one. Who who is a re? I mean, this is hypothetical, and we're like getting way ahead of ourselves. Who who's a reasonable candidate that state fans want and can get? Um, I would probably say Bill Clark at UAB. That probably okay, yeah. most realistic uh, one that would be generally accepted by the fan base. If I had to, if I had to say, do you think there's a problem? Who is it? Who's the um, athletic director? It was the baseball coach, right? John Cohen. Yeah. So do you think there's a problem? Because everybody was, everybody likes how how like efficient he is in handling matters, as opposed to Tennessee on the other hand, who like hired Pruitt after trying to hire every single coach in the world and it didn't go well and went dragged on for months because Cohen hired um Moorhead and nobody even thought about Moorhead as being the coach and it seemed like it went down in like two or three days or something like that do you think there's a problem with hiring that fast no I don't think that was a problem at all I think he knew well beforehand uh that Mullen may be leaving and he had already kind of uh put some feelers out and I just think that he he had his guy and he just made a move quickly. And it was a move that was like generally accepted by pretty yeah. much everybody um, nationally. So, you know, but I mean, you know, again, I, I know we're getting like way ahead of ourselves here, but one thing I will say is I know Mississippi state baseball and Mississippi state football are obviously like completely different, but um, as far as, you know, tradition and um, what you can expect out of the program um, on a national level, but, you know, Mississippi state had an interim coach that took him to the college world series and it would have been really easy to hire him uh, full-time. And a lot of people in Starville were pushing for that, uh, including a lot of fans, because he had done so well. And he decided to actually cut him loose because he believed that he could hire someone better um, in Chris Limonis. So, um, you know, I mean, I know that that's baseball and it's a little bit different than football, but he's he's pretty much shown that he's going to he's gonna make a – he's not afraid to make tough decisions – and uh, he's not afraid to do what he thinks is right. Um, and maybe that means, you know, making a, a, a coaching change sooner than people expect. Or maybe it means, um, you know, since he is a former coach, that maybe he's 
got a little bit more empathy towards Moorhead and um, what it takes to build a solid program. And then add, to add on to uh, what Holt said, I mean, usually Mississippi State has gone the coordinator route in their previous hires, uh, Dan Mullen, obviously, and Joe Moorhead. But another uh, another sitting head coach that could be gettable for Mississippi State, uh, one that's impressive and has been consistent is uh, Blake Anderson at Arkansas State. Uh, he's had a consistent product at, at, at the, with that school, and it's a hard school to recruit at. And uh, he's been consistently good every year. He runs a really exciting offense. And, I mean, I think that's another hire that probably would be accepted by the Mississippi State fan base as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's one of those things where, you know, I know we're getting, like, way too far ahead of ourselves, you know, because, I mean, honestly – if I had to say it right now, I'd say Moorhead's probably going to get next year. Um, Even with no buyout? Yeah, that's the thing. Apparently, he has a $0 buyout. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I haven't seen his contract, but that's what people are saying. So, um, apparently, it would be really easy for three of them if they wanted to. And, um, you know, a lot of people are saying, like, well, who's going to want to take the Mississippi State job if you just fire a coach after a year and a half uh, just because he doesn't win within a year and a half? And, you know, I can kind of understand that argument, but, I mean, I have two counter arguments. Number one – um, he came into a very winnable situation where really all he had to do was make the offense not suck and they probably would have won 10 games, but he couldn't even do that being like, you know, some offensive mastermind that he's kind of been labeled. Um, and he kind of came in, had three first round picks on defense. The defense was absolutely loaded, best in the country. And um, then, uh, you know, they just were terrible on offense and he's supposed to be an offensive guy and weren't able to um, adapt to the personnel at all. And um, really had an underperforming season last year. I think they vastly underperformed last year. And, um, you know, obviously they lost a lot off last year's team. And I don't think anyone expects them to be great this year. But, you know, going on the road and losing to a Tennessee team and then losing to Kansas State at home, who's not a good team. um, I mean, it's just been like a really, really disappointing season. And, you know, I think he put a lot of the blame last year on Nick Fitzgerald you know, not being able to throw the ball. I know he didn't, like, come out and say it, but that's kind of the the vibe that he gave off was that um, basically Fischel couldn't run his system, and that's kind of what the problem was. And now they're saying, you know, I mean, now he's got a freshman he recruited and a transfer who's been in the system for four years, um, or this is his fifth year in the system, uh, who's coached, you know, he's coached for three or four years. So, um, and the offense is still not doing anything. So, um you know, at some point you got to start he's, – he's just kind of running out of excuses, I guess you could say, and it's pretty obvious that uh, Moorhead is the problem and not any of the players. Tag on a little bit to what you were saying, hold about uh, – some people wouldn't like firing a coach after two years because they either don't have enough time to prove that they can win with their guys or um, how are you going to hire new coaches because um, who's going to want to come coach if you only get two years to prove it. Um, I think, you know, if you know after two years where your coach is going to be and year three doesn't look any better, I don't know why you would even wait to play out year three and just let the program go down even further. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like Mississippi State has been picking like the cream of the crop in the past either. It's not, I mean, it's probably going to have to be someone unproven, a coordinator or a group of five head coach. Um, so, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like if they wait another year, they're all of a sudden going to open themselves up to like some 
you know, additional candidate pool. You know what I mean? It's just not going to mm-hmm. happen. That's not – it's never going to be that way at Mississippi State. Um, so, you know, I – you know, on one hand, like, I understand, like, you know, oh, coaches need, like, three – at least three years, and that's fine. But, like, when you come into a situation where it's already, you know, ready and you just kind of have to, like, make a few tweaks and, um, you know, just, like, maintain the ship, you know what I mean, uh, so to speak. Um, and he just hasn't done that at all. It's been very um, – you know, I guess so far. Just yeah, just frustrating. Like I mean, I wish I could say something like better than that, but it's just like they they're they should be a lot better than they are. I mean, plain and simple. Year two in this offense, they should not be having these issues. Um year one in the offense, they shouldn't have been just absolutely atrocious like they were. They should have been able to make more adjustments and you know, I mean I I know that, like, people aren't going to want to hear this, and, like, I hate talking about, like, last year and, like, all this stuff, but, like, Nick Fitzgerald took all the blame last year. He took all the blame. It was unfair. He was a good quarterback early in his career, led the conference in uh, total yards as a sophomore, had a pretty solid junior season as well. I mean, yeah, he's not the best passer in the world. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's, you know, is an NFL quarterback or that he's to a tag of a low or anything like that. I mean, I, I, all I'm saying is, like, he took so much blame last year, and mm-hmm. to me it's pretty obvious that, Joe Moorhead deserves at least the majority of the blame for how last season's offense turned out. Yeah, I agree. Moorhead has been – I mean, what, what else can I say? He's been a disaster at Mississippi State. I mean, the program has regressed uh, not just from last year to this year, but it seems like it's gotten worse game by game even this season. And uh, Alex said, did you watch uh, any much of this Mississippi State-Tennessee game, and what takeaways did you come away with? Because, I mean, obviously me and Holt have our takeaways, and I just want to see where you stand. Yeah, I know I'm – feel like I'm taking on the role as host, but I'm curious what you thought from watching it. I did watch this game on the – I was streaming. I was switching back and forth between this one and the Georgia-South Carolina game, but I got to watch enough of this game to, I guess, have somewhat of an opinion on it. Uh, First thing I would say is both teams look shitty. Neither one of these teams are really look great. I mean, you could say Tennessee's defense looks better, but, I mean, I think that was more of – like you, you look at some of the passes. I forgot who it was. I think it was, um, it was either I don't know if it was Stevens or Schrader. One of them threw an interception that was just like not even close. Like the good guy was open. He just threw it like way over his head, straight to the Tennessee guy. And, and, yeah, and then so both teams look shitty. And then the other thing I, I really liked about this is that Pruitt made up his mind that Garantano or the other guy Mauer or whatever his name is weren't going to lose the game for him. So he just made up his mind that we're just going to run the ball, and if we get inside the 30 or 40, we're just going to run the ball and kick a field goal and just dare Mississippi State to be the, beat them offensively. And that's kind of why they won is they were able to run the ball a little bit better. And uh, Mississippi State never got it going offensively, especially throwing the ball. So um, yeah. Tennessee won the game, and it's good for them to have a win. But um, they still don't necessarily look great or that much better. No, they really don't. And, and Maurer, the reason he was out of the game is because uh, he fell on his head uh, on a tackle uh, – Late in, the, late in the first half and looked like he got a concussion. So that's why he was taken out and Garantano ended up finishing the game. But uh, I will have to say this about Pruitt is that, like I, I said in the uh, preview, that I thought this game was going to be really ugly, low scoring, and filled with lots of sloppy mistakes. And that's exactly what this game turned out to be. I mean, it was a really, really ugly game. It wasn't exciting at all. I mean, I, I felt like really it was going to be the less shitty team was going to win. And that day, Tennessee was the less shitty team. They made a little bit less mistakes. But, I mean, they both had lots of turnovers on both sides. And 
I mean, you can you can place blame both ways, but I will give credit to Jeremy Pruitt. I haven't been giving him a lot of credit this year, but I will credit him for his defensive game plan. He, he devised a lot of good uh, blitz packages that uh, really confused uh, Tommy Stevens in the first half, forced him into making some quick decisions and mistakes, and they ended up getting six sacks that day when they only had two sacks the entire season leading up to that game. So I got to give credit to uh, Pruitt and Derek Ansley for coming up with a really good game plan. And it uh, didn't look like Moorhead really had much of a uh, response to it. He wasn't, it didn't really make the proper adjustments. And ultimately, Tennessee was able to get enough points on the board in order to come away with a victory. The good thing about this, though, JB, also is that you, you look at the schedule for Tennessee and five wins looks reasonable, possibly six. I mean, you could you can maybe see a South Carolina win depending on which South Carolina team shows up, especially since that's at home. And I feel like um, the Tennessee fans will come out and uh, cheer the team on pretty hard. But, I mean, UAB, that should be a win, even though UAB is not bad. Vanderbilt should definitely be a win this year, finally. And then um, Tennessee never loses to Kentucky, but um, we'll see about that. But this yeah. is a possibly, and that would be saving the season completely. That, I wouldn't know if it would be a miracle, but it would be damn near close to it, getting six wins with this Tennessee team after losing to Georgia State. Yeah, with Tennessee beating Mississippi State, now they have a potential path to uh, make it to a bowl. Uh, obviously, they're going to lose next week to Alabama. They'll be 2-5. and five. But after that, I mean, they got the way I, I projected a path for them to get to 6 is that they're going to have to win 2 of 3 against Kentucky, Missouri, and South Carolina. And then they're going to have to take care of business at home against UAB and Vanderbilt. If they win those four games, you know, four of those games, then they're going to go bowling. I mean – I think their goal is to be five and six going into their home game against Vanderbilt. If they are, they got a legit shot. But I, that, they have to win two or three against Kentucky, Missouri, and South Carolina, which are not tall ta- or which are not easy tasks, but they're not tall tasks either. I think Missouri's the hardest one, but as far as Kentucky and South Carolina, those those two games I think right now are gonna be looked at as toss ups. At that point, you would actually have a lot more respect for Pruitt for like kind of revitalizing this team in the second half of the year. Yeah, I mean, if they go, to, if they finish six and six, make it to a bowl after a one and four start with two, you know, two straight losses to Georgia State and BYU at home, yeah, I mean, that's that's that would be an incredible turnaround, and I think Pruitt would regain some of his uh, followers at Tennessee for sure. Holt is Lynn Bowden Jr. the best athlete in the SEC? Um, no, I don't think so, uh, but I do think he had a really impressive performance on Saturday, and um, you know, obviously with Um, I, who I mean, we talked about this in the podcast before. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's been hurt the last few weeks, um, and he's just kind of played through it. Um, uh, yeah, sorry about that. I think we have some technical difficulties there, but I was just saying, like, with Sawyer Smith being out, um, you know, he obviously fought through, the, fought through some injuries the last few weeks, and uh, – you know, wasn't able to go in this one. So they just put Lynn Bowden at quarterback and just kind of turned him loose, ran for, you know, 200 yards, two touchdowns, and um, really sparked that offense a little bit. Um, this was actually a, a pretty exciting game. I was I made the joke to uh, JB and then another friend we had over visiting. Um, that we were all watching the game together, and we were like, you know, if this game was played in week one and we had no idea about, like, how bad these teams were, we might actually think that they were both pretty good because it was actually a pretty well-played game. Uh, both teams were – you know, it was kind of a back and forth. Uh, neither team was necessarily pretty in the passing game, but um, it was kind of a back and forth game, and both teams looked like, uh, you know, they're they're playing to win. That both teams looked like they expected to win, 
And um, it kind of sucked that one of these teams had to lose because I thought both teams played really hard. And I think Arkansas has, you know, really bounced back a little bit since that uh, since that rough loss um, to San Jose State and uh, has played pretty well since then. So, uh, you know, kudos to them for, for keep fighting and Chad Morris. Um, but it was definitely a tough loss at the grocery store. And not according to Chad Morris, if you heard his press conference after the Kentucky game, he just kept on – he went on another uh, – slight rant at his press conference about how unacceptable it was and Arkansas fans are getting tired of it. I um I found myself watching this game and actually rooting for Arkansas. So I was kinda of disappointed or sad whenever Bowden went off for the like whatever it was, fifty or sixty yard run towards the end of the game to like break the game open and the game was at that point over. I forgot that because I think Arkansas was trying to stop the clock and get them get the ball back and uh, after that run it was it was definitely over yeah and I mean to me the story of this game is just Arkansas's passing game they just can't get it going I mean they just they can't I mean Rakeem Boyd had another huge game um, had a huge long touchdown run the first drive of the game um, you know he's really their only productive member on offense right now I mean the the quarterbacks between Hicks and Starkle I mean neither one of them can get anything going and it's just the passing game right now is a really ugly sight and I mean, honestly, Lynn Bowden looked like a better passer than Hicks or Starkle on Saturday. Yeah, I think SEC Mike tweeted that out, saying that it's amazing that uh, Kentucky was able to get Bowden uh, or develop him more in like one or two weeks or whatever it was than Chad Morris has developed a quarterback his entire career stint at Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know how sustainable that is for Bowden. I'm not sure how much. Arkansas expected this. I think it was it kind of came out of nowhere for them. Um, so, you know, I think once teams have a chance to game plan a little bit more for Kentucky, if they're going to do this going forward, it's, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to move the ball. But, you know, at least in this one, um, really solid game plan by, you know, Grant, the offensive coordinator for Kentucky, who takes a lot of flack. But, you know, he every now and then he will put together a pretty good game plan. And, you know, he at least shows he's worth something every now and then. Kind of reminds me of Randall Cobb a little bit, although I guess Randall Cobb might have been a better passer than Bowden, but uh, same type of athlete for sure, I think. That was so crazy. I remember, like, Randall Cobb his freshman year was, like, the quarterback and he was returning punts. Like, it was, like, the craziest thing. Yeah, it's something you do in, like, high school maybe. Not yeah, I do love me some Randall Cobb, though. Yeah. I was also thinking about Antoine Randall whenever I was thinking about like quarterbacks slash receivers and he was one of them. I think even Heinz Ward was kinda like that too. All right, did it Oh yeah. Well pass at least. Yeah, Heinz Ward was Mr. Everything in Georgia. Yeah. Um, a couple other games we haven't talked about yet. The Alabama Sex AM game. To me this is um this is kinda anticlimactic and it's it's more so just because the games before it and after it. Like yeah, it was kinda just a letdown down game to me. I wasn't really expecting this one to be a great one after having like a exciting slate of games at 11 a.m. You know, this is supposed to be a big game, but you know, it really wasn't to me. I don't know about you, JP. I agree, but I, I will say like after that A&M opening drive in which they, you know, had like eight minutes, you know, controlling the football and, you know, came away with a touchdown. Like that was as textbook as you want it to be when you're playing Alabama as a team that's explosive as they are because they kept the Alabama offense on off the field for half of the first quarter. I mean, that's all you can ask for. But, yeah, like I said, like I mean, it's, it's it wasn't going to be a like as competitive as, you know, as we hoped it would be. I mean, but A&M started off as perfectly as you could with that first drive. and But, like I say, Alabama's just way too good. And uh, their talent showed on the field. And right now they're just a uh, – they're a monster, and they're really hard to stop. 
And that's all I got to say about that. Oh, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, Kellen Mond. I just thought he played really hard in this one. Carried the ball 16 times for 90 yards. And, um, you know, he pretty much was the running game. He was pretty much their entire offense in this one. I mean, you know, look, I know he hasn't developed quite as well as some people would like to see. And um, he maybe hasn't turned into the quarterback that a lot of us pegged him to be before the season started. But, you know, he's just out there. He plays hard. Um, you know, he didn't turn the ball over. He's just – you know, he's just an easy guy to root for. I just – I like him a lot, and I was impressed with the way he played in this one. And, um, you know, you just got to give him some credit. So, I mean, he's just – he's out there fighting, even though I think pretty much everybody knew they weren't going to win this game. And he just came out and just laid it on the line. And, you know, you just have to respect that. Holt, they're 3-3 three and three right now, as in Texas A&M is. And uh, they still have Georgia and LSU at the end of the year, and both of those games are away. Do you think there's a chance they could win eight games instead of seven? Because right now it just looks like it's going to be seven and five. But even that might be a little difficult because they do play South Carolina. Um, I mean, it's at uh, College Station, so they should win that game. But at Georgia and at LSU to finish the year, that's tough. But then at the same time, I feel like when teams play really good teams back-to-back, like they're they're due to win one, I would think. I mean, it's possible, yeah. I mean, I could see them winning the LSU game. I could see them winning the Georgia game. But I definitely wouldn't pick them to win either one of those games. I mean, I think they're – you know, their odds of winning one of those games is maybe like 20, 30 percent. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's about about where it's at. And I do apologize for some background noise. We just have an inconsiderate roommate. So you're saying there's a chance? Um, yes. In the words of Lloyd Christmas, I'm saying there's a chance. Yeah. Have you I don't know if you are doing Halloween this year, but have you thought about dressing up? I know I don't think JB dresses up. He doesn't like it. He's he's the Grinch with Halloween, but have you thought I can't about make it? up my mind on what I want to be. Like I, I kinda wanna I've for some reason I've like really been wanting to be like a police officer, but like uh when I went in the costume store all the police officer uniforms look like they were for um Slutty. Yeah, well no oh, I, play. I was gonna say like um in the bedroom. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe not for heterosexual males. Uh, you know what would be funny is if you could if you could somehow pull off the super bad cops, it'd be tough because you'd have to really know and you'd have to really pull off like the facial hair too. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I don't know about about that. I was I, I was wanting to go for more of like uh, I don't know. I, I, what I was going for maybe just just something that maybe girls will like. If I dress for Halloween, if I have a party I get to go to this year. I got two options. I'm either going to be Hopper from Stranger Things or I'm going to be Pennywise the Clown. I told you to be a Hopper, man. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'd make a good Hopper, honestly. So probably my yeah. number one uh, choice if I end up dressing up. Holt Smash, you need to make sure to check into uh, the Nashville plan after sometime later this week so we know if that's still a possibility. Yeah, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure that out, too. It's been – it's just tough sometimes, man. Like, people just – you know, you realize real quick in the corporate world that, like, people just don't really care about your plans. Yeah. Well, that's, you just need to go in there and tell them, like, hey, I got a podcast, and it's doing well. F y'all, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much got to that point. I mean, you know, I'm just hoping this podcast will get just, like, a little bit bigger so that one day I can just, like, do this for a living instead of. Yeah, it's it's got us to Destin for a week, but it hasn't gotten us to, like, not work forever. Yeah. Well, we just got to step our game up a little bit. Just Yeah. Just a little bit. The other game that we haven't talked about is this Ole Miss-Missouri game. And this one is one that I wanted to watch more. It was just – it's tough to watch all games at once and really 
take it all in. Even even when you have three TVs going, Holt, it's it's for me. It's hard to like comprehend what's going on in all three games. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm slow, but it's just it's hard for me to analyze every single game when you have all three going on at the same time. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, unfortunately, um, even though we have three TVs in our living room, I mean, this was probably the fourth biggest game going on, so we didn't really get to watch a ton of this one, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was an exciting <laughs> game, and um, you know Rich Rod got both quarterbacks in there. Um, you know Plumley was the leading rusher, and then Corral came in and was able to complete some passes, uh, but it just wasn't enough in this one because Missouri's offense is clicking on all cylinders at this time, and Kelly Bryant is um, you know really having a great season. He's not really getting talked about as much as some other quarterbacks in the conference, but definitely deserves to be because he's having a great season. Uh, Roundtree had a big game. Um, you know, even Downing had 70 rushing yards. So, uh, really impressive performance by Missouri's offense in this one. Debbie, do you think if Missouri played Wyoming now that they would beat them pretty easily? Um, I think if you put them on Missouri's field without the altitude, I think they could definitely get them back. But uh, this – Yeah, I think they could beat Wyoming Yeah, I think they could beat now. Wyoming again. But I will say this game did make our cut in the beginning as our third game. But as this game became less competitive, we switched to Arkansas-Kentucky game as our third game that made the cut for our top three games of the evening. Hey, yeah. Ole Miss covered. Ole Miss covered. Hey, great. there must be a great team then. Hey, well, they scored uh, – they got 13 points in the fourth quarter to get that cover too because it was kind of a blowout before the <laughs> – You know, it's funny. This is kind of um, – this is. I feel like this is somewhat on topic, but – I feel like you know, you have friends that like college football, but then I, I don't know if y'all have friends that like college football as much as you do. Maybe you do hold because of Mississippi State, but I don't think you do, JB. Like, have anybody like likes college football as much? But I'll say that to say that Friday night we had like a little double date, me and the homegirl um, at somebody's house out in the burbs, and we were just chilling. Like, dude, dude was grilling, and he's like, dude, Miami's playing um, Virginia's tonight. I was like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. And then, like, that was all he ever said about it. Like, he didn't turn it on the TV or anything. I was like, man, I guess, like, you don't really care about that game after all. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, honestly, like, when you're around normal people, I guess you could call them. Uh, yeah, the, non, the non-crazy. I mean, this is the thing, too, is, like, there's football on. Like, I want to watch it. Like, even if um, I'm doing something else, I at least want to, like, have the game on. Yeah. So um, we did not watch football like planned, but he he did he went to Georgia Tech, so like he was he was up early in the morning watching the Georgia Tech Duke game, which Georgia Tech got killed um, completely. So it's kind of kind of ironic altogether. Yeah, Georgia Tech is struggling um, this year. It's gonna be well. You would expect that. He was he was telling me, which I mean, I I would I would think this would be the case, but it's it's funny it's funnier when you get like a fans take on it and he was saying that Jeff Collins came into the program and he had like they had like 14 quarterbacks or something like that on the team which I don't know if they had actually 14 quarterbacks but probably 14 athletes that were picked to maybe be a quarterback he said like all right y'all y'all gonna have to do something else because we can't have this many quarterbacks you're gonna have to switch it up play defense or offense or receiver or something and I don't know if that was the actual case but like I could see a very realistic situation where Jeff Collins came into an option offense and like what the hell am I gonna do with all these players yeah, and I mean that's the that's the thing is I mean you know we talked about the quarterbacks, but you know the, the biggest problem I think is going to be the offensive line. I mean I, I think when you're switching out of a triple option, you know that's the thing is it's just the offensive line and the recruits to run that system are just completely different than if you're going to run any type of other system, and that's you know part of the reason why you shouldn't get into triple option in the first place is because 
you know, it's really hard to get out of and it's really hard to recruit to. So, you know, once your coach moves on, you know, unless you go triple option again, it's going to be a t really tough rebuild. And that's what Georgia Tech's gone through right now. JB, I'm just going to break out to nationally national games for a little bit. Um, and I'm just going to mention all the things on my top of my head about the national games. You tell me what you want to talk about. So we have unbeatens going down this week. Uh, obviously, Memphis went down. Wake Forest was undefeated, and they lost to Louisville in a very high-scoring <laughs> game. Um, the Penn State-Iowa game, Penn State won. They're undefeated still. Notre Dame-USC was close. What uh, What's uh, something that I noticed, and I feel like a lot more people are noticing, is that Wisconsin looks like a legitimate team to beat Ohio State this year. I even um, – after beating Michigan State, 38 to nothing with uh, all that defense. And then let's see what else I wanted to talk about. I think that might be it. App State's still undefeated, JB, if you care about them as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. – oh, 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 one more, one gotta, more. You got to like Excuse the me. Mountaineers. But um, – Yeah. Well, hold on, hold on, JB, one more, one more. The, other, the last one is that Michigan was killing Illinois, and Illinois came back to give them a little bit of a – game at towards the end and makes you wonder about hardball again oh no i'm not gonna worry, wonder about hardball but we'll speed through this uh wake forest is down uh 52 31 in the uh fourth quarter at louisville against louisville at home came back almost had a chance to win uh they got down to 62 59 with a minute left after going on in a uh i think it was a 92 yard drive uh, seven plays in a minute had an onside kick in which it looked like they were about to recover it looked like they did recover but the officials ruled that that it wasn't recovery, so uh, they ended up not winning, and Louisville held on. Uh, Memphis goes away from the unbeaten beaten ranks, losing the Temple. Um, JB, hold on. Was was it a catch? I think it was because it was ruled a catch on the field. If it had not been ruled yes. a catch, I think they would have ruled it not a catch. I think they should have stuck with the call that was on the field. And if they did, Memphis probably escapes with a 31-30 victory off the legs of Riley Patterson. But it just – let, let me let me let me stop for a second, just for a second, because it's Memphis. Um, Holt, I know you were watching this game as like one of the smaller TVs that's streaming. Um, obviously, Brady White lost in the game with the turnovers, but would you also think that Brady White got them back in the game with his passing ability? So here, here's my situation on that: is Brady White, Alex, made, Alex, Alex, do you have a question, or you just want to talk? No, no, I have a question. I have a question. Don't worry, it's coming. It's coming to a question mark. So my question is. Um, <laughs> can, do you do you get frustrated with Brady White with the turnovers, or are you more okay with it? Because there's not many quarterbacks could lead their team back to scoring the ball like he did. Also. I think Memphis fans have been a little bit spoiled the last few years with quarterback play, um, if I'm being honest. Brady White is not a bad quarterback. Um, if they'd had this quarterback, like, you know, in those early, like, Fuente years, they probably would have loved him. Um, you know, I, I, I've – I think Brady White is an okay quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, and I think that's kind of what the problem is um, because I think Memphis fans have gotten to the point where they just expect the quarterbacks to play really well all the time, and they've kind of – I don't want to say like lost you know, track of reality, but like they've, they have they sort of have gotten to the point where they just, I think, expect a little bit too much out of their quarterbacks. And, um, you know, I, I just think that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, I didn't really watch a ton of this game, honestly, so I'm probably not the best person to answer, but – while I'm talking, I would also like to give a huge shout out to Minnesota, who beat the brakes off of Nebraska, 34 to seven at home, and they are still undefeated. And that uh, battle for Paul Onion's Paul Onion, Paul Bunyan's axe, uh, <laughs> looks like it's going to be uh, quite quite a matchup this year. So, uh, so row the boat for the Gophers.
I was I was gonna mention that as well. That's one thing I forgot. I was going a little too fast, but row the boat. Row the boat, JB. Paul Onion's ass X. Paul Onion's ass. That's a that's a tongue twister. JB, are you frustrated that row the boat is working? Because now we have to like listen to PJ Fleck and all of his pump up talk. Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, it's it's a good turnaround for him to win at Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's had some good teams in the past. Uh, Jerry Kill had some good teams with him, and I mean, I, it's a it's the best you can do with the situation he's got. He doesn't have the most talented team, but he's got his whole team to buy in. He's rolling around with the slogans, but his, he's a coach where his slogans work. So you know, more credit to him. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work for Butch. You're right. Anything else, Jebby, you want to add? Uh, Wisconsin has the best defense in the country by far. And Wisconsin, if they if you put Alabama or LSU jerseys on them, they'd be a top three team. But they're not because they're Wisconsin. Yeah, is that debatable, Holt, that they have the best defense? I feel like it's not. As you finish chips yeah. or whatever. I think uh, I'm just going to open up a bag of chips over here real quick. Don't mind me. Um, no, I, I think Wisconsin's defense is – uh, played the best out of anyone in the country so far this season. Uh, I mean, granted, they haven't had to play any offenses that, like, really spread the ball out and, you know, throw it around a lot. Um, they've played a lot of, you know, I guess physical teams and undermatched teams uh, so far this year. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think they deserve the distinction as the best defense in the country right now. Yeah. Uh, last words, JB? Well, I want to give my uh, what a chicken for the week. We didn't have it done that. My what a chicken will go to Jake Fromm uh, for his three interceptions and a fumble on a botch snap. So that's four turnovers that you can blame on him. I mean, I, I've been the biggest backer of Jake Fromm all season. I've been a backer of him since he was a freshman. But yesterday's performance was pitiful and absolutely unacceptable. And I think he's going to come with a chip on his shoulder. But I still had to give him the what a chicken for this week because, I mean, there, he's not safe from it because of his performance. And just go ahead and uh, bet all the money you have on Georgia to cover against Kentucky this week because they're going to be Kentucky by 70 points. Yeah. Cats, not, so not cats by 70 this week, the other way. Yeah, dogs by 70. Okay. Holt, you have a player of the week? Like in the SEC or nationally? Uh, just SEC. Um, I did, and then I told I'll just give mine, and you can think of yours. Mine would be Limbo, Limbo and Jr. Uh, just had a crazy game, 196 yards, I think. He's uh, calling out, going over his notes, and seeing who. But I'm going to give mine to Israel Mukuamu from South Carolina. The man had three interceptions in that game against uh, Georgia, so he's responsible for all three of Jake Fromm's interceptions. One of them returning them for a touchdown. So yeah, he's got to be our defensive player of the week. Um, no one really comes close. He almost single-handedly won this game for South Carolina. Yeah, I, I do remember now. Um, we actually I just talked about him a minute ago. Uh, but it's going to be Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. Um, just what he was able to do, obviously, being a receiver. And they needed him to play quarterback. So, he goes into place quarterback for the game. Uh, Rushed for almost 200 yards. And, um, you know, even completes the passes. Had a touchdown pass in this one. So, a uh, really good performance by him. And you have to give him a lot of credit. And, um you know, definitely was really fun to watch him play in this one and lead his team to a win and kind of do uh, something he wasn't really recruited to do just to help the team win. It's good to see him be a team player. The Swiss Army knife. Yep. <laughs> um, um, well, yep, yep. Yeah, actually, I don't think you heard me, but that was uh, my player of the week as well. Um, I think that's all we have for this recap 
week seven. We will do week eight preview in a few days. I'm excited about that because I think there's going to be some good games next week as well. Thanks for listening to us this far and long. And be sure to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to us on uh, anywhere podcasts are accessible at SEC Slow Slopes. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.